I'm turning uh, this morning to Jonah chapter 1 and verse 17. Jonah 1 verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. My friends, we're continuing our studies in this wonderful book of Jonah. And my subject uh, this morning is praying in adversity. Praying in adversity. Well, I have to say I've been... Our last few studies have been a little bit critical of Jonah and uh, his behavior. Uh, not without cause, though. I think he's, uh, he partly has earned the criticism. It's not unfair. The criticism that has come his way is uh, dis- being disobedient to his calling, a disobedient prophet, disobedient to what God wanted him to do in his life, running uh, far away uh, from it. And he's put the lives of so many other people in great danger because of his disobedience. So we could say he was deserving of the censure and the reproof. Jonah himself also condemned himself. He wasn't slow to do that as we've seen recently. Does that mean then, friends, that Jonah was just an ordinary man, just like any other person, a person who runs from the Lord. Was he just like an unbeliever? No. This, uh, this chapter, chapter 2, uh, tells us he was still a spiritual man because even though he's been acting like an unbeliever and even though he's been behaving and he's left off spiritual duties and he's been running away from the Lord's presence, yet now he turns to the Lord in prayer. Now, uh, he is no longer behaving like a whirling. Now, in the belly of the fish, chapter 2, verse 1, we see uh, him doing what? He's praying. He's crying to his God. He's crying earnestly uh, out uh, to the Lord. And we could say uh, he is, after all, he is, after all, a spiritual man, a true believer. Because that's what a true believer does. A true believer is a praying person. One mark of a believer, how can you tell? Well, he's a, he or she is a praying person. They pray, a prayer is a part of their life. They pray every day. They begin the day uh, with a period of prayer, a prolonged period of prayer before they go out into the day, before they start their work because they don't want to be taken by surprise by what the world will throw at them at that day. And every day is got full of surprises, isn't it, friends? We never know what's going to come our way. We never know what comment is going to come our way that is suddenly going to stir us or annoy us or uh, make us feel upset in some way and hurt us. You've got to be able to prepare. The believer knows, well, these kind of things, as well as the temptations maybe to impurity and, and anger and other kind of things, they're going to come my way. I've got to prepare myself by drawing near to the Lord. I don't want to be a bad testimony in the office and in the school or wherever I am. I must have my some time with God before I meet the world, before I go out into my daily task and meet with other people. I have this thing. So he's got this concern. And of course, he wants to. He wants to draw near to God. 
and to have his time uh, with the Lord. He knows that that is prayer helps him to keep a spiritual frame of mind. He knows that prayer keeps him near to his God and his Lord, and he wants to come and pour out uh, his heart before God. He asks, of, of course, in that time, uh, well, talking about the period of prayer, but then also throughout the day. That he doesn't just forget about prayer, but as he's going on throughout the day, every, every now and again, he's got moments when he directs his prayer to, to the Lord. Lord, remember that particular situation? Lord, help me in this. Lord, suddenly something happens to you. Some temptation comes. Lord, help me. He's praying all the time or praising, or thanking God, oh Lord, thank you for what you've done, thank you for that thing that you showed me. It may not happen during that prolonged period of prayer in the morning, but certainly throughout the day it may come to his mind. It's a moment uh, well, of uh, prayer, he, an emergency prayers, of course. So he asks God in prayer not only for things that he needs, he must do that for help, for guidance, for strength, for spiritual strength, but he also praises God. He praises God for who He is in prayer, for what He has done, and he, uh, this is how He usually begins that longer period of prayer. He begins with God before He comes down to His own particular needs. As soon as He leave, leaves off prayer, what happens to a person? What happens to uh, this believer? But like a famous pianist, if he leaves off practicing playing the piano, after one day, he notices it, and after a few days, all the other people notice it as well. And it's the same with prayer. I leave off prayer for a while, after one day, but I notice I'm not quite the same. I notice I'm more irritable than usual. Now, if you leave off prayer for longer, other people will definitely notice. What's happened to you? Why are you getting so, uh, so uh, uh, finicky and so provoked so easily? And we may even begin to act like a whirling again. So a person, friends, uh, who neglects prayer is either a backslider or a disobedient believer like Jonah, or perhaps they're not a believer at all. Well, verse 17 is uh, where we start off today. Jonah then is a spiritual man, but here he is, uh, a great fish has been prepared by the Lord to swallow up Jonah. Now, so many people get stuck with this one verse. This is all they think about when they think about Jonah. Jonah, oh, the great fish. Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it? How miraculous, how wonderful, or how unbelievable, would some people would say, the liberals would say. It's, it's not true. And some people get uh, a little bit too stuck. Uh, what kind of fish was this, they say? Was it a whale? Well, we don't know. It may well have been a whale. How can a fish swallow a man whole? Furthermore, how can a man live inside a great fish for three days and three nights? How can it be? How can he survive? How can he come out the other, uh, the other side? Well, we cannot say, friends, for sure, uh, the answer to these questions, uh, what kind of fish it was. In fact, the Hebrew, uh, w the Hebrew word is applicable to any great fish. So it could have been a whale, or it could have been any other great fish. And then, as we said uh, last week, this is not really a unique experience, a one-off experience. Uh, it, other reports have been made of people being swallowed whole by fishes. So this is not a, a one-off experience. The miraculous thing about, about this is that this particular fish 
was in this particular place at this particular time. Although that vast sea, the, the, the great fish was there at that time when Jonah fell down, down, down into the bottom of the ocean and that fish was in that particular place ready to swallow him up. That's the miracle. That's the wonder of it all that the Lord had prepared uh, this uh, to happen. Oh, Jonah, you're so lucky. Jonah, you've got away with it. How fortunate, Jonah, that the fish was there at that time to catch you. Oh, jo Jonah, it's so fortuitous, isn't it? You're so lucky. It's a good thing that fish was there, otherwise you're a goner. <laughs> no, friends. Not luck. Not fortuitous. Not fortunate. Jonah, uh, luck didn't save Jonah. Chance didn't save him. It was the Lord who saved him. The Lord prepared uh, his uh, deliverance. Well, friends, let's look at this uh, prayer uh, then of Jonah's in chapter 2. And I don't intend to go through it verse by verse, but only to bring out some of the main points uh, that, uh, and some lessons that we can focus on. Firstly, uh, from this prayer, we can see Jonah's altered feelings uh, towards God. Here he is, he's in the fish's belly, and, and out of that fish's belly we read, uh, verse 1, Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. Just like the prodigal son. Now, you remember how the prodigal son, uh, when he came to himself, he said, I will arise and go to my father. He had run far away, the prodigal son, from his father. Hundreds of miles. He wanted to get as far away as he, kept, as he could from his father. And it's a picture of the sinner wanting to get as far away from God. A reminder, just like Jonah, wanting to get so far away from the presence of God. And when that prodigal son, when he came to his right mind and he realized his foolishness in running and keeping so far away from God, he said, uh, from his father, he said, I will rise and go to my father and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. He takes with him words. This is what I'm going to say to him when I see him. I'm going to say, I'm sorry, I've sinned. I've done foolishly. I've done wrong. And Jonah does the same thing. He comes to his senses. He, now these, the situation, the trouble, the afflictions that have happened to him have driven him, as it were, to prayer again and to seek uh, his father's uh, face. He was running away from the presence of God. He was trying to hide uh, from uh, God's presence. He didn't want to hear uh, God's voice again. But now this trouble brings him back. Now this trouble changes that disposition again, so that now he wants uh, to uh, know God. Now we see what troubles him is his disconnection from God. The fact that he cannot see God, he cannot uh, sense God. And he says here in, uh, in verse 4, I am cast out of thy sight. He was trying to run from God's sight. Now he's worried about it. Now he's troubled about it and saying, it, I, I, I want to be near you, but I feel I'm cast out of your sight. And he felt cut off from God's uh, favor and from God's uh, blessing. And he felt the pain of it and he cries out bitterly uh, because of it. But friends, that's a good thing. This disposition has changed now. 
He is now more towards God. He's looking for God's face, God's blessing again. And that's a good thing for him. So we can say that this great trouble and affliction that has happened to him has actually done him good because it's turned him back to the Lord again. His soul is inclined uh, to his God again. And it may be the, the same may be said for me. If I'm backslidden, uh, the Lord may well send trouble into my life also. But if it causes that trouble, that difficulty that happens to me, if it causes me to pray again to God and to call upon His name and say, Lord, uh, have mercy upon me. I've sinned against You. Lord, show Thy face upon me. Shine upon me again. Then that's good. That's a, that trouble, that difficulty, however, however painful it may well have been and troubling, will have been sanctified for your good. And it will have achieved its purpose. That's why God sent it, so that you would turn uh, to Him again. I, uh, I, I think I mentioned this illustration before, but I'll say it again. There was uh, two fathers talking over a garden fence. And uh, both of them had uh, sons at university. And uh, one son, one father said, Oh, I hear from my, my son every week. And the other father looked at him strange and said, Every week? I, I hardly ever hear from my son. And uh, how come you, you hear from yours uh, every week? And while well, the father, the first father, he said, Well, how much stipend do you give to your son? How much financial support? He said, Oh, I, I, give, I give to him for the whole semester. He's got enough for the whole semester. He doesn't need... And the, other, the first father said, oh, I only give my son enough for a week. So he has to contact me, he has to phone me every week to make sure he gets his next week's budget. And that was, <laughs> that's why he heard from his son every week. And isn't that uh, what trouble does for us? God wants us to come to him. He doesn't like us to be away from him, no contact with him, no communication with him, happy just carrying on our own lives, forgotten by him. No, he sends trouble to bring us back to him because he loves us and desires us to be near him. So if trouble comes in such a way and has this effect, we can also say, isn't it, it's good that I have been afflicted. But then secondly, prayer in adverse circumstances. Here is Jonah. Where is he? He's not sitting on a sunny beach, uh, you know, suntanning himself with the sun shining and a lovely drink by his side. No, he's in the fish's belly. He's in a constricted place. He's in a confined place. He's in a dark and dreary place. He cannot move uh, very freely. His movements are all restricted. He's, it's a terrifying place where he is. Imagine him where he is, in the, there in that fish's belly. It's a very lonely place, a forgotten place. He's been thrown into the sea and forgotten about. Who cares about him? No one cares about him. All hope seems to have been gone. And it's all too easy. It would have been all too easy for him to just give up and in despair and say, what's the use? What's the use of, of, of pr even praying? But he doesn't. Even in such awful and terrible, uh, restricting circumstances and dark place that he is, still he opens his mouth and he prays uh, to the Lord. Backsliding had closed it, but now this trouble awakens uh, him uh, to pray again. Oh, friends, it's a call to us, brethren, uh, to pray at all times, especially in difficult circumstances. 
when things seem to be against us, when things are not going our way. That's the time when we are called to pray, when things are not working out for us, and we feel even perhaps the pressures of life are coming down upon us, and we feel overwhelmed by these things, and we, we really feel it. And there are issues in the home and the family that are just getting out of hand, and there are, uh, we've got a boss who is uh, coming down tough upon us and demanding more and more from us uh, each week. And we have friends, perhaps, who hurt us with their words and their behavior and startle us by what they do to us. And we say, I can't, how can I manage with all these things? And we're brought into such adverse circumstances that it's all too easy, isn't it, sometimes to think, well, what's the point of it all? And just give in to despair and despondency. I'm too stressed out by all these things. What's the point even of praying? But friends, that's exactly the time to pray. That's exactly the time to pray, just like Jonah. Take him as your example. Pray in the midst of afflictions. That's what James said in his letter, James 5, verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Oh, friends, uh, in times of great trouble, uh, this is what we should do. Surely you can't be in a worse place than Jonah. Surely all your troubles all put together is not as much as Jonah. Would you like to ex exchange places with Jonah? I'm sure none of us would. But uh, he prayed, and also for, for, uh, we should do the same. Jonah's troubles, we have to say, were very real. These were not imaginary. This was not pie in the sky. This is what he felt. This is what he was really going through. It was not imaginary sorrows, but real heartaches. Jonah wasn't daydreaming here. These are things that he felt. And these things come out very vividly for us in verses 5 and 6. The waters compassed me about. The waters surrounded me. I was drowning, he says. I was suffocating. I couldn't breathe because, uh, because of the waters. The depth closed me round about. The deep encompassed me, surrounded me. There's no way for me to escape. The sea, the weeds wrap, were wrapped about my head. The seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I was in a confused state. I didn't know where I was. I couldn't see where I was going. Uh, all, uh, all was a blur to me. My feelings and my, and my emotions were all over the place. That's what I was like. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains, verse 6. Down, down, down. I just kept on going down, down, down into an en endless uh, uh, depth until I reached the bottom of the sea, the seabed, all alone, forgotten. The earth with her bars was about me forever. That is, the earth, the land, as it were, had closed its door behind me, had closed its gate to me. I saw no way of returning back to earth. Now I'm imprisoned in this vast ocean. This is where I will be, and I will be, look, it says, forever. He felt it. There's no lifeboat that has been launched to save me. There's no lifeguard that has going to jump in to save me and rescue me from this situation. I have no chance of ever returning to the earth again. So it were very real uh, troubles that he had. Do you think Jonah, in the midst of all these things, felt like praying? Do you think he had a sense of praying? No. He didn't, friends. 
all was against him, yet he still prayed. His feelings were not there at this particular time, yet he still prayed. And that's such a vital lesson for us friends uh, here. Pray when you feel like praying, and pray when you don't feel like praying. And you don't feel anything, when the sense is not there to, uh, to pray to God, still you must pray in faith. Even if your senses uh, are not there. Don't let your feelings or your senses determine whether you pray or not. It's much easier, of course. It's much nicer to pray when the feelings are there. But if they're not there, if, you're, if your feelings are not functioning, if they're not clicking into gear, if you feel nothing, still pray, friends. Still draw near to God, and we call it just pray in faith. Pray with the mind. Pray uh, if your feelings are, your heart is not quite there. Still realize God is there. God hasn't changed. God is there ready, waiting to hear uh, your, your voice. Still worship Him. Still thank Him. Still pray for the church. Pray for others. Pray for the lost. Pray for uh, your needs. And you may find that somewhere along the line of the Lord stirs you again. You may find that your feelings come back to life again while you are praying. But even if they don't, you still continue in prayer. And uh, this, if you come from a charismatic background, this may be a little bit harder for you. Because in a charismatic church, usually you're quite used to feelings. And a lot of the worship is feeling-based and emotionally-based. And so uh, you're, even when it comes to praying, you might find it a little bit harder. But we must also learn this side, praying with the mind, praying uh, in uh, faith. So here, this is a, a vital lesson for us uh, to uh, take away. But then, thirdly, faith in adversity. In the midst of his trying and unpleasant situation, Jonah exercises faith. And in a wonderful way, he exercises it. Here, in the fish's belly, at some point, Jonah, as part of coming to his senses, he comes to realize his faith again. His faith uh, begins to operate again. It's been nullified. It's been put to one side. But now again, it, it begins to function in him. And you see him here, I'm sure, in the fish's belly. One of the thoughts that came to him must have been, well, I'm still alive. I'm still alive. I could have died. I'm, though I'm in this dreadful and awful and dark place, I'm still here. I'm still breathing. My life is here. I should have died. My life should be gone. I should be in eternity now. But instead, I'm still here. God has spared my life. And surely, since God has spared my life, He must intend mercy towards me. There must be a reason. There must be a purpose why He has preserved my life. I'm sure Jonah would have been thinking like this even there in the fish's belly. That would have strengthened his faith. Friends, why are you alive today? Why are you and I still here today? Why does God preserve your life? Perhaps you also have passed through some life-threatening experiences. Perhaps your life at some point has been uh, in danger. Perhaps you've been in a car accident and you nearly lost your life. Or thought you would lose your life. Almost happened to me. Didn't turn out so bad in the end, but I was driving at 70 miles an hour in the fast lane on 
on, on the, on the uh, rainy, wet day, and my brakes gave way, and I was aquaplaning, and I, I was new, I couldn't do anything about it, and I was going to smash into the, the BMW in front of me. And I thought almost that would be it. But thankfully, I came out alive. My car was smashed up, all smashed up, right off more or less. But I came out alive. Why? Why has God preserved my life? And maybe you, are, you have had a similar experience. Or maybe a disease that, you, you, uh, that shook you to the core. And you thought that, well, you were never going to make it out of it. But the surgeons and the medical team were so great and so wonderful and helped you. And the medication worked wonders. And you were saved when all hope really had, had, had gone. Or was that a very low? And your life is preserved and you're here today or some other close calls in your life. Why, friends? Why has your life been preserved? To seek and find Him. To seek and find the Lord. To know forgiveness in your life. To come to know Him before you die. He's giving you the extra time. He's giving you the space to turn to Him and believe in, in Christ. Well, friends, it's a, it's a mercy but then furthermore, jo uh, Jonah's faith, he saw God, isn't it, behind his adversity. Verse 3, Thou hadst cast me into the deep, and the f uh, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows, not the sea's billows, <laughs> thy billows and thy waves passed over me. He saw all that happened to him. He looked beyond the second cause, to the first cause. God has done this, he said to me. The reason I am here, the reason all these things have happened, it has come from God's hand. He took it uh, from in this way. And this helped him to, to bear with the trouble. This, this brought some ease and comfort to his mind when he thought, I'm receiving these terrible things. Yes, but it's coming from my Father's hand, my God's hand. And he, uh, he saw, uh, saw, uh, uh, saw it in this way. Oh, friends, if we fail to see God is behind even our troubles, what's going to happen to us? How will we react? Oh, we become all agitated. We become all impatient. We begin to complain and to murmur about my situation and about people who, who hurt us and harm us. Instead of looking beyond it to see uh, God uh, who has done. So faith looks beyond the second cause to see, uh, uh, the first cause to see uh, the Lord. That's how Christ looked at things when He was dying on the cross. When He was there dying on the cross, He didn't look at the, the Roman soldiers and say, they're doing it to me. He didn't look at the Jews who put Him there, who'd arrested Him and put Him before Pilate and said, you're doing it to me. They were. Naturally speaking, physically, yes, they were the, the ones who handed Jesus over to Pilate. The Roman soldiers were the ones who actually uh, nailed him to the cross. But Jesus, when he was dying, he looked beyond these things. He took those sufferings that he went through, the agonies and the pains. And this verse is actually also a prophetic utterance of him. All thy billows, all thy waves passed over me. The waves of God's anger and wrath fell upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And he took it from God's hands. He said, you have done it to me, Father. Remember in the garden of Gethsemane, what did he say? 
Oh, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Who gave him that cup of suffering to drink? Who handed that cup over to him, to, to Christ, and said, drink this, all of it? It was the Father who gave it to Christ. And the Son took it and drank on behalf of our, of us, our friends, what our, what our Savior has done so wonderful. Jonah, then also we can see uh, he remembered, verse 4, the temple. I will look again toward thy holy temple. And verse 7, he remembered the Lord. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. Now, liberal theologians, uh, they tell us Jonah, here in verse 4, when he says, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple, he's speaking this as an after comment, after it's already happened. But actually, uh, that's not so. He's actually still uh, in the belly of the fish when he says uh, this, I will look again toward thy holy temple. Of course, he's not saying it literally because he's, he doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know what direction he's facing. He can't see out. Uh, that's, uh, that's natural, normal. But uh, rather he's thinking, uh, I will approach God even here, I will approach him as if I am in the temple. And I will remember what takes place in the temple. I will remember especially the sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice that was, that's made uh, in the temple. And I will remember there that because of that atoning sacrifice, God, we are sinners like ourselves, are reconciled with God. And uh, God shows himself merciful and kind and gracious in the temple as that sacrifice is offered. And he will remember that. And this is what Jonah thinks. He thinks of his reconciled God through uh, the atonement that has been made that prefigured uh, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he also says, I will remember the Psalms isn't it, that were sung, were sung there. That's what is also in his mind. I will remember the Psalms that were repeated in the temple. The songs that were sung there. And I say that because this prayer is actually full of psalm language. The psalmist language. The psalmist words are here. So many of these phrases can be traced back uh, to the psalms. Some say that there are seven links from Jonah's prayer back to the psalms. Others say there are twelve. Others say there are even more. And uh, I can just give you... A few of them. Verse 4, when Jonah said, I am cast out of thy sight. Well, those are words from that psalm we, we read earlier, Psalm 31 and verse 22. I am cut off from before thine eyes. In verse 8, Jonah said, They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. He, spe he spoke, was speaking about himself, who'd, who'd uh, followed lies and run away from the Lord and lost his comforts. Well, that is taken from uh, the same chapters in the Psalm 31, verse 6. I hate them that regard lying vanities. And then verse 5. The waters compass me about, even to the soul. Well, that's taken from Psalm 69, in verse 1. Save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. So you see, he's using the psalmist's words. He was familiar with the psalmist's words. Uh, and uh, the experiences of the psalmist, and he's using it in this prayer. Oh, friends, what a, 
a book, a treasure we have in those Psalms. They relate to us the experiences of the saints of God, the good times, the bad times through which they passed, especially that of King David. And they're there to help us, not only to sing, but they're there to help us, to encourage us as we read them. And we go through similar experiences that they went through. But we can turn to that psalm and we can read it and we can encourage ourselves in it. And we can also take those words, just like Jonah did, and incorporate it into our prayers and use Scripture when we are praying. That's a very valid uh, thing to do. Well, friends, here is another reason, as I come to a close, here is another reason why we should be in the Lord's house as often as we can. The Lord's Day, the midweek meetings, why should we come? Because it's here that the, the Scriptures are open to us. It's here that we learn about God. It's here that we learn about His mercy and His love. It's here that we learn about His plans. It's here that we learn about the church and what God is going to do in the future. It's here that we learn about His will and how we can live in a way that is pleasing to Him. And it's here too that we sing. It's here too that we sing the Psalms. We sing at least one Psalm. Maybe sometimes more. It's here that we sing these doctrinally rich hymns that we have. And why it's so important that we sing hymns that are doctrinally rich. And friends, by doing this, by coming to the Lord's house week after week after week, service after service, what's happening? Well, you are fortifying yourself for the future. So that when trouble comes, and surely they will come, and difficulties come in the future, you have something in you that with which to respond in your trouble. You have words that you can take from other people's experience and pray that to God. Because you have learned it in the Lord's house. You've sung it in the Lord's house maybe a few times. And it, it, the words, sometimes of hymns, uh, they seem to just come back to you, isn't it? And you're able to relate them to God in prayer. They have a knack for lending itself to memories. And it's a wonderful thing, friends, uh, to, to, uh, to come. So we deprive ourselves of these things if we miss out on the Lord's house. Oh, so, so, so many wonderful hymns that we have. Oh, all-embracing mercy, thou ever-open door, what should I do without thee when heart and eyes run o'er? When all things seem against me to drive me to despair, I know one door, one gate is open, one ear will hear my prayer. Wonderful. So many hymns like that which you can remember and use to encourage yourself in times of trouble. But then fourthly and finally, we have here a promise of Jonah to amend. Verse 9, I will sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving. He promises that upon his deliverance, he will make sure that he thanks him. He will make sure that he gives praise to God. And then I will pay that that I vowed. I will obey the Lord now. I repent, Lord. I will go where you send me. My life is yours. I will do now your will. This is what he vows. Salvation is of the Lord. This particular salvation that he is going to experience, in fact, all salvation, all kinds of deliverances are from the Lord. Salvation from sin, salvation from earthly troubles and difficulties. Oh, we've known so many, isn't it? We have so much to thank Him for, friends. 
How many times God has heard our cry when we've been in trouble and delivered us and saved us, especially from our sins. Oh, we should never cease to thank Him and be so overwhelmed with gratefulness for what He has done. And then finally, verse 10, The Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Not back into the sea, but upon dry land. Jonah is safe and sound. Jonah is saved. Oh, friends, uh, this is our message. Next week, God willing, we'll look at this as a sign of Jonah, which the Lord uh, spoke of. But pray, friends. Pray at all times. Pray in your afflictions and distresses. Pray when sense is absent and you cannot feel. Still pray. Pray in faith. Remember God. Thank Him. And also remember to keep your promises uh, to Him. Let's close by singing our final hymn, which is number 493. God of my life, to Thee I call. 493.